You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, Life Church Livonia, welcome. What's up? I'm Alex, one of the pastors here. If we haven't met yet, welcome. So glad you're here. Welcome to the last week of our series, A Flourishing Life. This has been a great series where we've been looking at in the winter seasons of life. And, you know, when seasonal depression is high, energy is low, motivation is non-existent, your New Year's resolutions have failed, and it's only week three of January. No shame, it happens to the best of us. But how do we, in the midst of these things, grow a flourishing life in God? And that's the question we've been asking, and we've been looking at, we talk about how to grow a flourishing life through uh, living life on purpose, right? A flourishing life is lived on purpose, and we use the ancient tool of a rule of life to help us live on purpose and flourish in our life with God. We talked about how all hard things in our life can be training to become like Jesus. We've talked about the power of gratitude in the wilderness and how complaining is a disease that hurts us and our communities. And today, we're wrapping up with how a flourishing life embraces its limits. Speaking of which, I'm interested if you could put in the uh, chat here, who is your favorite superhero? Who's your favorite superhero? For me, I'm a Batman guy myself. Spider-Man's up there. And as I did a little research into who America's favorite superhero was, I was shocked. Because I was thinking, you know, Batman for sure. You have the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Classic. Batman the Animated Series. Classic. I've talked about Batman in many sermons. Classic. Spider-Man has had a great resurgence recently. You know, he's been uh, all over the place of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But none of them were America's favorite superhero. According to a 2020 survey by the New York Post, Superman, in fact, scored as America's favorite superhero at 47% of the 2,000 votes. He was followed very closely by Batman and then very closely by Spider-Man and then very closely by Captain America. But Superman has waxed and waned in popularity over the years, the height of his popularity really being in the Christopher Reeve era films. When Christopher Reeve portrayed Superman between 1978 and 1987 before a tragic horse riding accident left Christopher Reeve paralyzed and unable to continue the role. Since then, there have been eight attempts to kind of reboot a Superman series in the movies, the latest being Henry Cavill, who I personally really liked. Hot Take, Man of Steel was awesome, and it was way better than Superman Returns, and it was way better than a lot of other Superman movies. That's my hot take. You can roast me in the comments, but it's true, okay? So I really liked that one, but there was no Superman, uh, a Man of Steel sequel, was there? There was Justice League, which we're not going to talk about today. It's a little touchy for a sermon, am I right? <laughs> but Superman has not had a successful reboot because he's kind of hard to write. Directors and actors and writers alike have all said Superman stories are so hard to make because he's not that interesting as a character because he has no limits. There's nothing to struggle against. He's an amazing person raised by good rural parents with a strong moral character and he has no moral flaws to speak of other than being too nice and trusting sometimes. <laughs> right? like that's his big flaw in a lot of the things. Oh, you're just too good-hearted, Superman. That's why you're <laughs> that's your thing to work against. 
He has no vulnerabilities that come from planet Earth, not bullets, not missiles, not blades, not even a freaking atomic bomb has stopped this guy, okay? He literally took it into outer space and let it blow up while he was holding it, and he still survived, you know what I mean? His superpowers are so powerful, he could be any villain he wanted at any time if only he would let himself be that unbridled. He practices reserving his power constantly to live on Earth and act normally with other people, but his ears can literally hear to the other side of the world. Uh, he can fly faster than the speed of light so he can reverse time. His super strength is so powerful that a single clap can send shockwaves that break cars, break windows, and make people go deaf. His laser and x-ray vision are so strong, he can fight airborne hands free and has even lobotomized dangerous supervillains burning the parts of their brain that their superpowers control. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. He's overpowered, even in the realm of fake overpowered people. <laughs> I mean, like he's just got no limits. And it's why he's America's favorite superhero, I think. Because we wish we could live without limits too, don't we? I mean, I know I have, I know I do. We wish we could balance the budget, increase our savings, enjoy limitless spending, have a thriving marriage, parent with ease, keep the house clean, all while making that career work for us. You know what I mean? Like we just wish we could have it all at the same time. And it's why when people impress us, we say things like, man, that's a superwoman right there. Oh man, look at Supermom go, or dang man, you're like a super dad, right? We akin people to Superman when they look like they just have no limits holding them back. But the reality is, our lives are filled with limits, aren't they? Now, when I say limits, I don't mean trials, okay? It's not necessarily negative things. Trials are a desert season, they're a hard circumstance, they're consequences of our sins. And trials are almost, they almost always come with limits but they're not inherently limits. Limits aren't just circumstances that come into our lives, they're just a part of the very fabric of life itself as a human being. They can come in our time, limits can come in our season of life, they come in our bodies and our energy, they can come with the changes of the seasons and the year. For example, having small children at home limits our free time, our energy, and our availability for other things. Having pets comes with limits to our ability to just say yes to spontaneous stuff. Having diminishing health as we age is a limit on our bodies, our mobility, our energy, and our capacity. Our level of introversion or extroversion comes with limits on what we can say yes to and for how long. It puts a limit on our ability to engage or be able to sit still. Our age is a limit. When we're young and inexperienced, certain doors are closed to us. And when we age, new doors open and old ones close. Being newly married or freshly graduated from college comes with a limit on our finances. Anyone say amen to that, you know what I mean? Being in school puts limits on our capacity to learn and intake new information. Winter often comes with limits on our level of energy and level of hopefulness. All of us here listening have a limit of mortality. We are not born living forever, and the death rate is hovering at just about 100% the last time I checked. Our kids come with limits, our bodies come with limits, our families come with limits, our time comes with limits, our lives come with limits. And especially as Americans, we just don't like that. We often meet our limits with regret, with grief, with 
anger, with disappointment, with shame, and various forms of self-disapproval. And then we search through podcasts and sermons and YouTube videos and self-help books for some kind of help that will help us break through our limits. Because like Superman, much of the American energy goes into celebrating people that can and seemingly do live without limits. But spoiler alert, nobody's Superman. Not you, not me. And all of us have limits that we cannot break. But few of us know how our limits lead us to God. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be answering the question, what do I do with my limits? So we're going to be spending time this morning in the book of Acts, where Paul and his disciple Silas are faced with some limits that I believe all of us here would be praying that God would break and remove as fast as humanly possible. But Paul and Silas handle their limits differently and reveal to us a new path, a blueprint, a different way of dealing with our limits. Before we jump into the scripture, I want to give a little context and backstory. The Apostle Paul and his disciple Silas are in the city of Philippi on a missionary trip. So way down here where you can't see is Jerusalem. And that's where they came from. And they have gone from Jerusalem up to Antioch. And, you know, there's a lot in the book of Acts about Antioch and the power of the church there. And from Antioch, Paul and Silas go out on this missionary journey. And Paul has different companions with them at different times. He has Timothy with them. He has John Mark with them at different times. And Paul's going to all of these places and he's planting churches. Currently, they're in the city of Philippi, which is right about here. Now, Philippi is 1,410 miles from Jerusalem to travel by land. And it's in the country of Macedonia, which is the remnants of Alexander the Great's empire. And it's in the midst of Roman rule. So this is a very Greek culture. And Paul is not Greek. Paul is Jewish. So Paul's not in his home culture nor his home country as he preaches about Jesus. And while preaching, he and Silas are there shouting in the streets, telling people the gospel about Jesus being risen from the dead. And a slave girl who's possessed by a spirit that can tell the future starts following them around. And she's shouting over them as they preach that Paul and Silas are here. They're preaching about Jesus, the Messiah. He's the one risen from the dead. They're speaking the truth. And she's basically like agreeing with them with this spirit inside of her. And Paul gets so annoyed after three days of being shouted down by this girl that he casts the spirit out of her, which is a whole thing in itself. I'm not going to go into that. It's like, why not do it right away? Why wait, wait three days and wait till you're annoyed at her? <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, her masters get mad because they can't make money off her anymore. The spirit they were using to make money is gone. And so they accused Paul and Silas before the magistrates of the city, claiming they're advocating things that are unlawful and illegal for the Roman people. And Paul and Silas don't get a trial. They just get beaten. And this is where we pick up. It says here in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. 
The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Wow. So let's talk about what just happened there. That was crazy. So Paul and Silas have done nothing wrong. In fact, they did something right. They freed a girl who was being abused both spiritually and economically in addition to being a slave. So they free this girl and this takes an income asset from her masters. So they lie about Paul and Silas and they, they use their cultural clout as locals to get Paul and Silas severely beaten. Now being flogged meant being stripped naked publicly. They would leave your underwear on sometimes, sometimes not. So you're publicly humiliated, but then you're whipped with a whip or a stick nearly to the point of death. So Paul and Silas undergo this social humiliation and brutal abuse, physical abuse, this great injustice, enduring much pain they did not deserve. Then scripture says they get thrown into the inner cell, which, as you can imagine, means it's a little bit more secure than what the outer cell might be. And then their feet are put in stocks, so they're literally chained to the ground, sitting on the ground, and they can't move. On top of that, Roman prisons were brutal. I mean, they had no bathrooms, so prisoners lived in their own filth. It is said in historical books, the aromas of Roman prisons were hardly able to be withstood. Yikes. So Paul and Silas find themselves chained to the floor inside of a cage with whatever wounds, cuts, and bruises from that beating are they're unattended and open, surrounded by aromas that would make most people vomit involuntarily. And scripture tells us they were in the jail about midnight. And this isn't midnight like in the city with artificial light, right? This is midnight where before light bulbs, before electricity. It is just blindingly dark. So things are not looking good. This is a hardship that is full of limits. The darkness is a limit they can't see. The stocks are a limit they can't move. The cage is a limit they can't leave. And the wounds are a limit. They're in constant pain. And if it were me, you'd probably find me feeling pretty sorry for myself, going, God, why would I was preaching your gospel. Why would you let this happen to me? You know, like this is so unjust. This is so brutal. This is so unfair. I'm here trying to, you know, plant churches and do this in your name. I'm getting abused on every level. Free me, Lord, and bring justice to this situation. That's what you'd find me doing. However, that's not what we fall, find Paul and Silas doing. And let me be clear. Wanting justice, wanting to be freed, not bad things. Good things. God is for justice. God is for freedom. But Paul and Silas aren't begging for those things. Instead, they're not feeling bad about their limits at all. They're not grieving. They're not feeling regret. They're, they're, not, they're not wondering why they even started preaching the gospel in the first place. They're not questioning their lives as missionaries. Instead, they're praying and they're worshiping. 
And this is amazing because instead of trying to remove their limits and getting anxious and angry and filled with regret and shame that they even have them, they're looking for God in their limits. Instead of trying to remove their limits, they're looking for God in their limits through prayer and through worship. They just simply decide they don't need to be comfortable. They don't need to be safe. They don't need fairness. They don't even need to be free to follow Jesus and find him in this prison cell. They decide they're going to follow Jesus in the midst of every single limit that they have right now. And instead of raging against their limits in the name of Jesus, we find them sitting right smack dab in the middle of every limit they've been given, responding with worship. Not worship for the limits, but worship in the limits. And because they respond with worship, the most amazing thing happens. Scripture says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he had thought the prisoners had escaped. So while they pray and look for God, in the midst of their limits, instead of looking for him to get them out of their limits, something miraculous happens. An earthquake that shakes the foundations of the prison, it shakes the doors out of the hinges, it shakes the chains off of bodies, but doesn't create a cave and doesn't get anybody injured. Just think about that. This thing was strong enough to structurally change the doorways so that the prison doors fell open and strong enough to literally vibrate the chains off of prisoners' bodies that there's no cave and no one's injured. That's amazing. But the other thing that happened is even though God just responded to their act of prayer and worship by removing some of their limits, Paul and Silas don't move. It's still dark and they're still wounded, but their chains are gone and the cage is open and they could be running out worshiping God. See, Lord, I knew you'd come through for me. But they are just so non-anxious about these limits. They weren't desperate in the midst of them. And now that the limits are gone, they're still not desperate. The jailer comes running in, sees the doors open and goes to kill himself. Why would he do that? Well, in Roman law, if you were a soldier and you were trusted with a prisoner and the prisoner escaped, it was now your life for their life. You had to die as recompense for letting that prisoner go. So instead of just waiting for a trial and waiting to be executed by somebody else, the jailer goes, oh my gosh, my life is literally over. I'm just going to take it now. But Paul calls out to him and says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the coolest part to me. It's part of why I love this story. Because when God removes their limits, they don't just jump up and run out like, Yes, God, I knew you'd come through. You're my Savior. Jehovah Jireh, you provide for me. They, they don't do that at all. Instead, they stay and wait and keep looking for God in their limits, even when the limits come off. Paul and Silas aren't looking for God so he will get rid of their limits. They're just looking for God. And they can see that even though their limits have literally just opened up, God's not done here. So they stay. And by waiting, they save this man's life. And in return, he wants to know how to save his soul. And they replied, 
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of midnight, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought him into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Because Paul and Silas decide they're going to look for God in their limits instead of simply trying to become limitless. They bring salvation to this guy's house and they begin the Philippian church. Which, let's not forget, is the entire reason they're even 1,410 miles from home in this city in the first place. Now, the Bible doesn't say what Paul and Silas expected when walking into Philippi, but if I were to guess, I bet it would go something like this. They preach the gospel. People get curious about Jesus. They get into some deep discussion and maybe some debate, which leads to people believing in God. They get baptized. Paul and Silas form the church. They raise up some elders, might get attacked by the Jews, probably not the Greeks. And then they go on to the next city. That's what I imagine they would expect. But that's not what happens. What happens is they preach the gospel in the city. They get followed by a possessed girl for three days and Paul gets annoyed, which then Paul frees the girl and creates an economic panic on on part of her employers, which leads them to getting jailed and beaten, which leads to a miracle that brings a government employee to Christ. And then the church of Philippi gets made up of a, a wealthy female merchant who was earlier in the chapter named Lydia. We didn't get to meet her in this section, but she just got saved recently. And the beginning of the Philippian church is Lydia, the slave girl that was just freed, and this Philippian jailer and his family. God didn't accomplish the building of his church in spite of Paul and Silas's limits, but it was because of them. Their limits were not a barrier to God's will. They were the setting for it. And if that's true for Paul and Silas, maybe that's true for you and me. Our limits are not our enemies, and they're not God's enemies. Sin and the devil are God's enemies, not limits. Christine Gordon wrote an article called Receiving the Gift of Limits, where she reminds us that Adam was created with limits that are innate to human beings. Adam could only jump so far. He could only eat so much. He could only be so tall. He could only do so much in a day. Though he was made in God's image, he was not God. Adam was a creature, and God was the creator. God created the land. Adam worked the land. While sin was not present in the Garden of Eden, Limits were present in the Garden of Eden. And this tells us something about the nature of limits. They're not inherently connected to sin because some limits are woven into us on purpose by God. When Jesus came in the flesh, he chose to live with the physical capacity of a human in the first century Palestine. In fact, when he had opportunities to push his human limits, he often chose to do otherwise. Think of the crowds that gathered when Jesus healed in villages. He healed some, but he didn't heal every person. Think of the additional hours he could have spent teaching his disciples. Instead, Jesus slept, and he ate, and he rested, and he drank. Surely he could have begun his ministry earlier than the age of 30. Yet he traveled and taught and healed for only three of his 33 years. Over and over and over, Jesus set boundaries lived within limits, and submitted to God. And he moved with grace, contentment, and flexibility in those limits, allowing time for interruptions and needy people. We are reminded 
of our limits when we wait for the rain to grow our food. We're reminded of our limits when we wait for harvest time to come. We're reminded of our limits when we get into bed each night because our physical bodies need sleep. But when we see the millions of stars in the sky, when we think of the billions of people and creatures on the earth, when we think of the complexity of the global ecosystem and the complexity of the microscopic ecosystems all around us, we're reminded that God is not limited. God is limitless. And when we push against our limits trying to be Superman, it calls back to the first temptation of humanity that led to our sin, the temptation to be God rather than be God's creation. God is limitless. We are not. Paul and Silas show us that when we look for God in our limits, they actually become a guide to finding and experiencing God rather than a hindrance from a fulfilling life or following him. Christine Gordon again puts it perfectly when she says, instead of pushing against our limits with disdain, we can consider them guides to help us make decisions about life in the kingdom of God. We don't have to strategize and strive every waking moment. We can relax, trusting that God is always at work, which leads us to ask different questions when we consider how to use our time and resources. For example, might your resentment at hosting another small group at your house be an indicator not of your loving heart, but of your need to take a break from leading? Might your children's exhaustion at the end of the week be the answer to your prayer for wisdom about their extracurricular activities? Or conversely, might your joy and energy increasing after teaching Sunday school or spending time with kids in our life kids be an indication of how God might be calling you to serve as church? We all have limits and we cannot ignore them. They're not a sign of our sin, but they're a sign of our humanity. And they're a gift from a loving father. Now, I want to add one caveat here. Sometimes we give ourselves limits that are not from God. We see ourselves as a victim of a circumstance. We see ourselves as a victim of a pain or a person, and we refuse to move forward even when God is telling us to move forward. That's why it's so important to look for God in our limits instead of simply assuming we should just submit to all of them or break all of them. Right? We're finding Jesus in them and using them as a guide to find his will. There have been seasons of life I felt the Lord told me to wake up extra early to spend time with him for the sake of our relationship. And that cost me sleep. But I've also had seasons where the Lord told me to sleep in, <laughs> make sure I was getting enough rest in my body so I could do what he was asking me to do with my energy. There have been seasons where I felt the Lord lead me to do really hard things that required me to go the extra mile. And seasons where I have had him tell me to pull back and not say yes to anything else. The goal is to look for God in our limits and find where he's working, what he wants us to do. So let me ask you, what are your limits in this season? What are your limits in this season of life? Are you unable to sleep at night? Maybe God's coming to you in that. Are you too young for some of the things you want out of life? How is God coming to you in that? Are you too old for some of the things you've had in life? How is God coming to you in that? Do you have young kids you wish you were more self-sustaining? How's God coming to you in that? Do you have older kids you wish you were younger and more innocent and dependent on you? How is God coming to you in that? Are you in a job you wish was different? How is God coming to you in that? Are you unable to progress due to a lack of degree? Or are you stuck wishing you could work in your field of study? How is God coming to you in that? 
Do you wish you lived in a house instead of an apartment? Or a bigger house instead of the small one you have now? Or a smaller house instead of the big one you raised your family in? Or in a different city or in a different part of town? How is God coming to you in that? Are you feeling tired in your marriage? Or wishing you were married to be, and have someone to be tired of at all? How is God coming to you in that? Have you strained family relationships you wish were better? How is God coming to you in that? Do you have health issues that have changed your life from what it used to be? How's God coming to you in that? And do you have a lower capacity in this season and wish you could be as productive as you were in other seasons? How is God coming to you in that limit? I know one of my limits right now is my energy. In winter, my energy just takes a big dive. You know, like, mm, we're going down. Like, it just is. Boy, I, you know that afternoon slump feeling? I feel that from like 10 a.m. till I go to sleep. And that's okay. You know, I used to fight and fight and fight that in the winter. But when I began realizing, oh, I'm a human being and the natural world isn't something I just look at through my window in the winter, I'm a part of the rest of the biosphere of the world. And right now, I feel exhausted and I want to be dormant, but everything else in our biosphere is dormant. The animals are, the plants are, everything else is at rest, and my body is taking a cue from that. I'm not separate from the natural world, I'm inextricably a part of it. And that's okay. I used to hate that in winter, and it was just a hard season for me of constantly being tired and pushing through it. Now I look forward to slowing down a little more and getting a little less done and looking for God in the limits of winter. Paul and Silas showed us that through our limits, not in spite of them, God accomplishes his work in us and through us. So whatever your limits are in this season, what I want you to know today is a flourishing life embraces its limits. Because our limits just mean we're human. And it's in our very humanity that we meet God. It's not becoming superhuman that makes us meet God. It's by being very human. It's through this very limited existence that God is glorified and God doesn't want us to be limitless because he is. He could have made us that way, but he didn't. And so our limits are an invitation to trust that where I end, God keeps going. The things I don't get done, God can take care of. And this was a big thing for me as a pastor. I used to feel very uh, guilty and anxious about not getting everything done on my to-do list for church. And the Lord gently reminded me one day, you know, I was doing a pretty good job with the global church before you came along, and I'll keep doing a pretty good job once you're gone. I went, oh, right, right. Pete Scazzaro reminds us that Jesus did not heal every demonized person or sick person in the hospital. He didn't build this huge mega church in Capernaum when he was begged to remain in the city. He refused to let certain people follow him, such as the Gadarene demoniac who he had delivered. He prayed all night and chose only 12 disciples to be his closest followers. Jesus didn't go in person to meet every need in Europe or Africa or Asia or the Americas. Yet at the end of his life, somehow he was still able to pray, I have completed the work you've given me to do, Lord. If Jesus didn't do everything, and yet still felt like he had completed what God had given him to do, then why do I always feel like there's way too much to do and way too little time? What are the limits in your season of life right now? And what would it look like to embrace those limits and meet God in them? I think that some of us here today are grieving our limits right now. We wish we were in some other season at some other time, and we wish the limits would leave and we could just be done with them. 
And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to be still and ask the Lord, Lord, how are you coming to me in this? And what are you doing in and through me? Others of us here today are ignoring our limits. We feel like they're alien invasions into our plans, our hopes, our potential, our capacity, and we've been pushing against them, but it's only been hurting us and the people around us. And if that's you, I want to allow you to let God meet you in your humanity and let you know, dude, it's okay to be human. It's okay to not be able to do it all. You're not limitless because you're not God. And you don't need to be. Today, hear the Lord's voice inviting you to embrace your limits and to be led, to be held, and just be his kid. Let him take care of all the things that are out of your control and beyond your limits. He's got them. Some of us here today are living within our limits, and it's a balance, and it's a tension, and there's always something to adjust, and you're trying to do the hard work to discern and be faithful. And my friends, if that's you, keep fighting the good fight. Be faithful in prayer and firm in faith, knowing that the things you cannot control, influence, or change are not beyond God's limits. So pray faithfully and live in a slowed-down, loving union with Jesus. And finally, there are those of us today who are far from God. Maybe you've been coming to church for years and you just don't believe it. And every time you come, it's because your parents made you or you feel like you should, but you're just rolling your eyes. And some of you, you're here and it's your first time and you've never really been going to church. And if that's you, I want you to know that all of us are sinful. You, me, the brokenness we see in the world, that's not just out there, that's in here. And I think you know what I'm talking about. All of us are looking for a fulfilling life, but left to our own devices, we jack it up pretty good. But Jesus came from heaven to earth as God incarnate to take the sins of the whole world upon him and to put them to death on the cross and then to rise from the dead, forgiving our sins and giving us new life and life to the full, the life we were designed for. And he's inviting you into that right now. Maybe you've been crushed by your limits, or maybe you've been crushed by trying to break them. I want you to know that Jesus is offering you a new way this morning, and that he has come to forgive your sins and to give you life and life to the full. And so wherever you're at this morning, I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Lord, I've tried to be superhuman, thinking that that's somehow where my worth, or my identity, or my value will come from, but it's not. I'm human. And Lord, I just recognize that you made me that way and it's okay to be human. So Father, I just surrender to you. I surrender all the things I can't do. I surrender all the things that I've lost in moving into this new season. I surrender all the things, Lord, that I wish I could do without my limits. And Lord, I surrender my limits to you. Lord, I ask that you would change me from the inside out and transform me that I might not just be constantly railing against my humanity, but find you in it. Because, Lord, you came from heaven to earth as a human being. You were born a human person full of limits, and it was in that place, Lord, that you met us. And so today, Lord, help me to meet you in my humanity. Lord, I surrender to you, and I just ask you to forgive me for all the ways in which I have just done this wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And lead me in a new path. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you just prayed with me and you surrendered to Jesus in some new way today, I want to invite you. Please reach out to us via our digital bulletin so we can help you take your next steps.